I want you to turn to the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 37. The 37th Psalm. What a marvelous Psalm that is. With all of its promises and statements. We want to look at one verse this morning as the title of our message this week, and we'll use it as a title next week. And that's verse 23. It says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. What do you do if it says the steps of a bad man are ordered by the Lord? Well, it doesn't say that, does it? But then on the other hand, Jesus said in Matthew 19, actually Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the same statement, Jesus said, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that's God. So when you say the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and then you think, well, Jesus said that no man is good, you got to realize two things. One, the word good, if you have a King James Bible, is added by the translator. That's the way a translator saw that, that God would not delight in the way of a bad man, nor would God delight in the way of a sinner, because he doesn't. He judges that. So you add good because that seems to be what it says. The steps of a good man are the kind of steps that God delights in. And the other point would be that there is no man who is good because all of us were sinners. All we like sheep have gone astray. There was none good. On our best day with our best effort, apart from Christ, we're all still as an unclean thing. So there is nobody who qualifies as good in the eyes of God. We're just glad that God is gracious and merciful and tolerable of his created order. But back to our verse here about the steps of a good man. Let me read it from another translation that I don't really care for. It's called the reversed standard version, actually the revised standard. But it says the steps of a man are from the Lord. Now that's theologically correct, but it's also theologically difficult. Because everybody who comes into this world will go in a certain direction and live a certain kind of life. God lets some people live their lives as they choose. Others, he makes a difference. He orders their steps. He makes them to go in a way that he wants them to go because of his special plan and purpose for everybody in this world, including us. We're in this world. But in this psalm, talks about the steps of a good man. I believe he's saying that for everybody who lives in this world, there are people who live sinful lives, but they're not going to live in such a way as to prevent the will of God from taking place or his divine decrees, his word that has gone forth from the beginning of time about the way things are going to be. Things are going to be like that, and nobody's life is going to change that. So in that sense, nobody's life is going to go in a way that would keep God's word from coming to pass. So in that sense, they are ordered. But spiritually, what we're interested in today, because all of us have asked the question, what am I supposed to do? Whom should I marry? Should I buy that? Should I borrow? Should I divorce? Should I go to this church, that church? What am I supposed to do? And now here's a verse of scripture for you this morning that says that God will delight in directing your steps in a way that he wants you to go. See, here's the point. When God makes you his own, 
When God begets you, births you, makes you born again, takes you from a sinful creature who is set up for judgment, brings you to himself and forgives you, forgives you of all your sins because he can through Christ and makes you his own. God has a specific plan and purpose for your life. He didn't save you just so you could feel good about church, feel good about going to meetings and, and read a Bible and have Christian friends and just sit in church the rest of your life because that's what most Christians do. As far as the idea of purpose, direction, function, what am I to be and how am I to be it, I don't think most people have that as a need to be answered. They're just glad that they're no longer drinking and smoking and running around and now they're in a church. They're busy and active in the church. They're not doing the things they used to do and therefore I'm okay now. Well, it's one thing for God to call you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's something else for you to begin seeking God for what is my way? Teach me thy way, O Lord, so that I may know what I'm supposed to do. What church should I be in? How many of you know that God didn't put every believer in the same body of believers? Well, that would be impossible. But he has a place for us, doesn't he? There's a place we all belong. A lot of people, for example, moved here through the years, through the last 30 years, just about 30 years. Lots of people moved here because this was a good place to escape to. You know, they preach the word there and, you know, they do a lot of things right there. So we'll just go there. They got here and found out that they didn't like it here. They didn't belong here. Far more people have left here than have stayed here. But it goes to show that not everybody's direction when they came to a certain place without speaking to God about it doesn't mean that they belong there and God didn't keep them there, didn't leave them there. He sent them somewhere else. God is able to direct anybody's steps. You know that. But for us, we'd like to know that God will give his angels charge over us to keep us in all of our way, but I gotta make sure my way is the way that God wants. God doesn't delight in the just choices you make to do something, because they might be the wrong choices to do the wrong thing. Let me use the word good for just a moment. The steps of a good man, one that God makes his own, a woman or a man, God orders this person's steps. He begins to direct their life the way he wants them to be directed, to take them to the place he wants them to go, to do the thing he wants them to do, and gives them the anointing, the inspiration, and the ability to do it so that it pleases him. That's what God does with us. And a lot of people are wondering about what should I do, where shall I go? Just say this, when his way becomes your way, when what he wants becomes what you do, when he begins to reveal it to you, little by little, not all at once, but little by little, then life takes on a deeper meaning and purpose, and the kind of joy and peace that you need begins to settle onto your life. You quit striving about everything. You quit wrestling with so many things. You learn how to just commit things to God. He brings you to a place in your walk where you know if he took care of yesteryear, he'll take care of tomorrow too and you begin to walk in peace because you know where you belong, you know where you should be. God said, he will not suffer thy foot to be moved, and he that keepeth thee will not slumber, in Psalm 121. So let's find out today five points I wanna make, five things about what God expects of us. The title of the message is The Steps of a Good Man. Two parts, today, this week, 
what God expects from us, and next week, what we can expect from God. God reveals to us what he wants us to expect him to do. Not everybody does, but that's their problem, not ours. Number one this morning, what God expects from us. We must realize that God would expect us to realize that we don't know how to walk a right way without him. That we don't know how to do the right thing, the right way, at the right place without God. We have to come to a place where unless God informs me in a way that I can understand, I'm just going to spin my wheels where I am the rest of my life. I don't know what to do without the Lord. I can wander aimlessly through life trying to do all the goodness that people do and then hope for a great reward for it and miss it all the way through life. I can listen to everybody's advice and I can take a correspondence course, go to school somewhere, take classes and listen to Bible, all the series that people have on how to know God's will. And yet, all I can get out of that's confusion. I don't know what I'm doing or where I'm going or how I'm supposed to go. And then one day you stop and you think, you know, Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, he said this, I know, O Lord, that the way of a man is not within him. Man left alone does not know how to live a right life. He can't do it. Now, he doesn't know that if somebody doesn't teach him that. A man will never realize and discover his ineptness before God if he's not somewhere he can hear the word of God taught. If the word every morning entertains you and it's just a word to make you feel good, he'll never realize anything except he's supposed to plop himself in a seat somewhere and stay there until he dies. He never goes anywhere, never accomplishes anything, never does anything. And I don't mean we're here to see what we can do, but we are here realizing that we have been bought with a price. You know, Paul spoke that we have been bought with a price. We are not our own. We are his purchased possession. He has ransomed us. He has redeemed us. He has brought us out of the darkness and planted us in his courts. We do belong to him. My life is not my own. My life belongs to him. And so my heart should begin to say, now, Lord, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to do this? What kind of work do you want me to do in life? And if you don't hear anything from the Lord, then I would suggest that you just make some plans. I did that. I made some plans. I went to college. I went to college because college is a cure-all for righteousness. It'll cure you from righteousness. <laughs> but I went to college I was told when I got there, the thing to study is school teaching because that was the easiest course. I never went to college with the idea of being a teacher. I went to college to enjoy myself and to play basketball. Entered my freshman year of college, 17 years old. I mean, what do you do? What do you do when you're 17 years old away from home with 20-year-olds? Well, we won't go into that. But I took up the course of study for being a school teacher. Studied the educational courses as much as I wanted to, and embarrassingly graduated with what I had on my report card there, but I didn't care then until I was a senior and about to go out and realize that one day a school board was going to look at my grades and go, and we're going to hire you. 
But anyway, I started that way. I wasn't a Christian. I didn't have anything to do with God other than I was aware of God and I was afraid of God, but I wasn't seeking God. I was seeking my own. They were my steps. The steps I ordered myself, I went the way I wanted to go. And along the way, I wound up in Shelbyville, Kentucky as a preacher. Now, you tell me how that happens. If God had sent me a letter when, my, when I was in college and said, Dear Tom, I'm going to save you and send you to Shelbyville, Kentucky to pastor a church, I might have wound up being a mercenary somewhere over in Africa somewhere. <laughs> or join Jonah in that excursion of his to some faraway place. He doesn't do it like that. Sometimes you pray about what to do, he doesn't say anything. You don't hear anything, there's no signs comes into your life. So you just do what's before you to do. I resigned as a school teacher, I didn't get the teaching job at the next year for the next school. What am I gonna do? I don't know, I gotta do something. Lord, what should I do? I'm a Christian, I don't hear anything, heaven's brass. So I decide I'm gonna sell insurance. And so, you know, or go back to college and get a degree. The two or three days before that happens, I get a phone call in Chicago from a teacher in Indiana. Come teach at our school next year. We'll pay you well. It's $9,000, I think. Wow, okay. I'm going back to school teaching. Next year, I got saved. Got turned on. As backwards and shy as I was, was stuttering and all, and not wanting to speak publicly, I would share around a crowd of people that I could trust and begin to realize they want me to share more. Next thing you know, I'm here, and somebody said, well, come over here, come over there, come over here. I'm in Shelbyville. Boy, there's a book about that thick, like War and Peace, between where I started and where I am now. <laughs> what I'm saying is that I didn't plan to do what I'm doing. I had no idea that a boy that came out of a divorce home with Catholics and Protestants in the same home with all the rude, crude behavior and, and language that I grew up with, whoever thought that one day I, the wrong person, the one who stutters, I thought surely my brother would be the one to do this, not me, but it was me. All my hangups and shortcomings, and here I am. I think I don't belong here, but the steps that God delights in are the ones that he takes the least of us, and I was, and I am, the least of us, and does things in us that not only affect us, but people recognize God's doing something, and then he takes that, and he begins to use it, and people get blessed by it, or the will of God comes clear to people as well as you. And one thing, you realize that 40 years later, 40 years later, as you look back, you go, wow, wow. I mean, just all the little doors that opened here, a door that opened here, a restriction there, uh, a terrible thing here, oh no, but it brought this in your life, and then that did this and that. How many of you know the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and God delights in his way? You might have thought, I'm going to be a movie star someday. Now you've got six kids, and you're living in a two-bedroom home. <laughs> See, you thought... Everything, you got this big dream, but you married a good man, you love your children, you're happy. So that's important. I don't mean that's a curse. I'm just saying that, that people have things they want to do that doesn't turn out like that. 
A lot of people go to school to be preachers and come to find out they're really not preachers at all. It was a noble thing to do. It's a good thing. Nothing wrong with wanting to learn and all of that. But if it's not a call of some sort on your life, well, maybe God will use that to take you to the next place. God isn't wasting his time with us. But we have to realize that, you know, unless you do something, unless I'm informed some way that I can recognize that I'm being talked to by God, unless you do, Lord, I don't know what to do. Because like I said, Jeremiah said, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Jeremiah said that. Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do this. And when there's no anointing to do this, I can't do this. Lord, I'm not the right one for this. But God says, listen to this in the modern King James Version. Well, I don't promote this one either, but it says, I know that the way of man does not belong to man. It is not in man who walks to direct his steps. But isn't this Christianity today, you get saved, you come into an upbeat, modern really in the groove of things, church. They got a lot of programs and departments and really well-spoken, educated people, good personalities, caring, loving people, a lot of home meetings, a lot of different things to do. There's something for the kids and something for the grannies and something for everybody. And you get involved in the system, and as far as what you're supposed to do, you're supposed to find a place to do something here. You're just supposed to do that. You know, that could be. That could happen like that. You could have a gift of showing mercy. And all those people that are hurting are waiting for you to come around with that thoughtful, God-sent word that you can give to people that just changes their day. You might have that. You don't know it yet, but you might have it. The reason we don't know a lot of things is that we're just sitting here not looking for more. But when God brings us where he wants us to be, he does what he wants to do. We may hear a sermon, for example, that how God wants us to live and we're supposed to pray and to seek God and to earnestly strive after this and labor to do this. And we think, man, that's too hard. But I'll tell you this. If God leaves us to ourselves to make up our own minds about what we want to do, and we convince ourselves that what we want to do is really good enough because, after all, I mean it with all my heart as I do it, <laughs> then whenever we die, we want God to give us a reward for it. Because the church is like that. Christians are naturally like that. If we don't hear from God, we'll devise a way. And there is a way that seems right, isn't there? The Bible speaks of this. There is a way that seems right unto man unto man who is incapable of directing his steps in any way that brings praise and honor from God for it. God doesn't honor our lives because we're thoughtful and sincere. There's more to what God wants from us than just being thoughtful, compassionate, or sincere. Those are good things. But we need information. We need that moving of the Spirit of God where we begin to be aware of something more than what we're doing. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Listen to this in Proverbs 16 and verse 9. Let me read it. Here's a verse that shows you, theologically speaking, not only man's freedom, but God's sovereignty. And they both go together. 
It says this, a man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. You make some decisions. You have to. You live by choices. Decide what you're going to do. Didn't Joshua say, choose this day whom you're going to serve? Make up your mind. You've come this far through life. You've seen the victories and we've won some battles. Now we're here. Okay, make up your mind what you're going to do. Where are you going to go? How are you going to conduct your affairs? How are you going to live every day? Make up your mind. You've been taught. God has shown you what he wants you to do. Now make up your mind. Sometimes we're not sure what to do. But we think of something that would be right in the eyes of God to do, and we begin to do that. That's a step. And then God will take that step and either fulfill it or he will direct us into his deeper purpose for us. But we can't get there without the Lord. Second thing that we have to realize and expect God to reveal his right ways to our hearts. And number one, we don't know how to walk without him. And secondly, we must expect God to reveal his right way to us. Now, if he doesn't, he cannot delight in our way. Would you agree with that? If we walk in the way that we want to walk, doing the things that we want to do, in our manner of doing it, he cannot delight in that because it has nothing to do with him. Amen. When the writer of the book said, teach me thy ways, O Lord, that I may walk in thy truth, that's the way we live our everyday life according to his word. Yes, it's restrictive. Yes, we can't do a lot of the things that we grew up doing. We can't watch stuff we used to watch, and we can't hang around people we used to hang around, and we should not wear the clothing that we are getting used to wearing, which excites lust. We can't do that. The Bible restrains us there. In light of just the ordinary things of life and just the way we live, yes, the Bible has so much to say, but it doesn't specifically point you into a direction you want to go because that's personal. That's between you and God. But the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord because God is able to direct your steps. He can take you sitting here this morning as a blank, like I used to sit, or dud. And just little things pop into your mind and doesn't mean much until it comes back to you tomorrow. What he said, you, you know, that's what he said. So you do a little something there and you get some results and God begins to just get a little information, bits and pieces into your life and you begin to see things more clearly than you used to. Hopefully you come to a time in your life where that still small voice of God determines your direction. You know when to prophesy, when not to. Should I do that or should I not? Well, there's a way that you can know. There's a prompting that comes from God that you can know. There's sometimes you have to take a step of faith. Well, I don't know about that either. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Well, you think God can guide you in a way you can be sure? Should I move? Should I buy? Should I sell? Should I go? Should I stay? Should I say something to him? Should I say something to her? What should I do? All of us almost daily have questions like that. What should I say to my husband? What should I speak to my wife? Well, how am I going to deal with this? What should I say to her? Doesn't God have a way to do it right? Isn't there something that God can say to us about the right way to do it, the right way to say it, the right way to be? 
the right way to do, the right way to act? Of course it is. God can do all of that, but only he can do it. Turn to my favorite Psalm. Psalms 32. Amen. Psalms 32, verse 8. What a wonderful psalm. I keep the ribbon in my Bible there so it just opens to that. I lean on the Lord with this verse a lot. And the kind of work that I realize I am now doing or the ministry or the life that I now have more and more I realize that I really don't know what to do about so many things unless God shows me. Now, wisdom is a wonderful thing because that's knowing what to do with what God says. It's one thing for you all to hear the word of God. It's something else for you to know what to do with it. That's wisdom. And so, in Psalm 32 and verse 8, he says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Now that's a promise to you. I will instruct you. I have prayed before. I've laid my hands on this book or my sermon and I say to the Lord, I don't know. I don't know how to say this. I don't know how to make this point. I don't know how to do this. Oh, I could talk and talk and talk and talk and probably get bits and pieces of it out. If we could limit everything and get the bits and pieces, it made one sentence and it'd been clear. So I, I, I want you to show me how to do this. And he also ended that verse by a promise that says he will guide you or counsel you, the same word, he will guide you and counsel you with his eye. Or listen at this translation, Young's literal translation. I cause thee to act wisely and direct thee in the way that thou goest. I cause mine eye to take counsel concerning thee. He looks at you and makes determinations. God says, I will cause you to act wisely. Wouldn't that be a benefit to all of our lives? If we lived wise lives and quit struggling with, do I have to? And just surrendered our will to God to whatever he wants so that he can lead me where he wants me to go so that I can be what he wants me to be, whether it's an insignificant little whatever or a preacher or a leader somewhere. To me, it doesn't matter what he wants from any of us to do just as long as we're willing to do it. If he wants to send us to some faraway country, then that's fine because I don't have a right to resist God. Amen? All those years I resisted God, I only deserved all the death and punishment that could be assigned me. And now that I have seen that and I have a way of escape and I come to God and I give myself to God, I have no right to disagree with him. I have no right to protest this word. I have no right to draw back and say, oh, that's too hard. It's not too hard. The problem is in my heart. I want my heart to surrender to God. My heart is what he sees. Thy word, the teaching, thy word have I hid where? In my heart that I might not sin against thee. I need that illumination of your word to my heart. I need to see what you're saying. The eyes of my heart need to focus on the word of God and not on what it's going to cost me. 
or how hard is this, or how long do I have to, it doesn't do that at all. It's just, Lord, take my life. The song said, take my life and let it be consecrated. What a word we have forgotten. Consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days and let them flow in ceaseless praise. I don't know who wrote that, but somebody knew the Lord. And yet we hear that and we begin to run it through our hard drive. We think, take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Consecrated. Man, I don't know if I'm ready for that or not. You are ready for that. Why do you think he's been dealing with us for nearly 30 years here? Why? What's he saying to us? Get ready. The Lord's coming. It's a preparation time. There are things to be done. He called you to do it. There's a message to be spoken. He's called you to give it. There are people who are hurting who need a word. He's waiting for you to go. Now, you won't go until you're convinced, but that's his work. He does his convincing work. I don't know what to do without the Lord. Look in Psalm 37 again. Psalm 37, verse 31, he said, The law of God is in his heart, and none of his steps shall slide. Verse 31, you see that? The law of God is in his heart. Is that what we're doing? Now, we're talking about the law of God. Who puts it in people's hearts? Only God. Only God can put it in your heart, right? Listen, if he doesn't, I am exercising my gum power this morning, beating my gums. If God doesn't give a revelation of his word to us in all the time we're in here, if nothing that he has to say is affecting anybody's hearts in here, we are truly wasting our time and I'm just performing. That's all I'm doing. I'm just doing my thing. You've heard people say that. But when God gets involved and our hearts are wanting him to show us things, then he begins to show us things, and then we get to experience conviction or edification or joy and more of what I need. I mean, that happens. When we go into the house of the Lord, things should happen to us. I notice the house of the Lord, this is not exactly a glamorous house. It's where we meet and God meets us here. But this is where he puts the law of God in your heart. This is mainly, you can hear it through the week in other ways, but mainly when we come together this way and we're two or more present, he's there with them. This is the major function of our week. Listen, Wednesday, this is the major time in us as a body, as a church. This is the major time in our week because this is when he brings us all together for a little while to hear his word. God help us to hear it. And God help us to make sure it's his word. Because this is the way he does things. This is why we get convicted about something that we know we ought to do and we're not doing and get bothered about some things. This is where we get convicted. Mainly, most of the time. Turn to Psalm 119. While we're in the psalm, let's just use the whole book. Psalms 119. In verse 33... Thy word is hidden in my heart. Quicken thou me in thy way. Listen to this. Psalm 119, verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and I shall keep it unto the end. You'll have to teach me, though. Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. 
Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me to go in the path of thy commandments, for therein do I delight. This is when the law of God begins to settle in your heart. You begin to understand it. Verse 36, incline my heart unto thy testimonies and not to covetousness. Is he the only one that can? He is. Verse 37, turn away mine eye from beholding vanity or deceit or lies. And quicken thou me in thy way. Establish thy word unto thy servant who is devoted to thy fear. Turn away my reproach which I fear, for thy judgments are good. Behold, I have longed after thy precepts. Quicken me in thy righteousness. Notice again in verse 37, he said, And quicken thou me in what? Thy way. One translator says, And revive me in your way. Or make me alive to thy way. Notice the progress here. It begins by, Lord, open my eyes, speak to me about your word. Give me understanding, and if you do these things, then I will walk in your way and keep your precepts and your commandments. But Lord, revive me and quicken me in your way. Make me alive to your way. Make me to sense it, to see it, to desire it, and to enjoy it. Only God can do this. Listen to me, all of you, especially young folks. A lot of people hear what they call a hard word. It's not hard at all. It's just the word of God. They hear a word and they dread the effects. Oh, if I do that, oh, if I do that, oh, if I do that. It's as though man's way of doing things just are better than God's way. Because if you do it God's way, you're not going to have anything in life. You're not going to go anywhere. You're not going to be anything. You're going to fall apart if you do it God's way because nobody does it that way. Nobody in this country is cool who's a Christian. There's no cool saints. I mean, look at the ones that are truly following and trying after the Lord. Nobody looks at them. I've never seen them out dancing. And you probably won't either. It's just a dread. Oh, God. But the psalmist said, Lord, listen to it again. Revive me in thy way. Make me alive. Revive means re again, and viva is life. Again, make me alive, or make me alive unto your way. Open my eyes, the psalmist said, to behold wondrous things in thy law. Quicken my heart. Give me a good attitude. Just show me like I've never seen it before. Let me see it like it's never been seen before in my life so that I can go, oh, I got it. I see what you mean now in verse 34. I have understanding. Oh, I see it. And from that point on, you're mostly going to be pliable in the hands of the Lord and you will more quickly find what God wants you to do specifically in this light. He'll do that. Isaiah 48, listen to this. Isaiah 48, verse 17, it says, Thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord thy God, which teacheth thee to profit, 
which leadeth thee by the way which thou shouldest go. This is what God does. He leads us by the way that we should go. You know why? Because he can, and because he can, he does. That's what God does. While you're in the Psalms, go back to Psalm 85 and verse 13. Psalms 85 and verse 13, the last verse. Speaking of the Lord, righteousness shall go before him. Could it go any other way? If I say righteousness, think of this, right ways, the only source of right, even as the only source of good is God, then right ways or righteousness means that which God ordains. God's right ways go before him. Now, if you're following him, it's like the Sermon on the Mount, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things that the world is seeking after will be added to you. You got to first determine that I'm going to give up rights to me and I'm going to seek what pleases God. Because he said that righteousness goes before him and shall set us in the way of his steps. If I'm following him, I'm following what's right. Amen. But he doesn't show it to you again all at once. When in the early 80s, I was living up in Indiana, thinking I had found some kind of little personal Mecca and didn't realize that it wasn't a Mecca at all. Nothing wrong with people, nothing wrong with really the place. I mean, everything seemed to be okay, except that I didn't belong there. When I knew I didn't belong in Versailles, Indiana, things weren't working right for me. There's a way that God had used me for 20 years, a way that I had ministered, a way that I had functioned. There was a feeling, a sensing that I had when I spoke, and I knew that God was using me to do that, that I never experienced up there. When I spoke up there, it was like I should be sitting out there. I didn't know what to say. Everything I said, even my sugar sticks, didn't turn out well at all. Now, they didn't as far as I'm concerned. That's all I can go by is what I got in here. And I realized I was going to have to leave because I do believe that I belong somewhere, and if I'm in the wrong place, I need to find the right place. And I knew I didn't fit in there. I knew that that wasn't the place where I belonged, that I went there on my own, and God allowed me to go there on my own and begin building a house. Much as I could, we'd build it. Okay, now put the roof on it. Now do this. And finally got all of that built. Had a new home, brand new home. Seven bedrooms. They were strung out everywhere. But anyway, we had a big house back in the woods in a quaint little setting. And we were miserable spiritually miserable. I just couldn't get over the fact that something here just didn't let me function. I couldn't function here. The things that I was used to doing and the enjoyment and the peace I was getting from what I'm doing didn't come out like that there. So one day I asked a question to a friend of mine who traveled with me all the time. I said, we got to find a place to go. We got to find a place to move to, but I don't know where to move. I thought of this place, and I thought of that other place, and I thought, I don't know where else I'd go. And he said, because God can put people in your life to speak a sentence that changes your course of your life. 
He said, you're not going to find a place to move to like you're looking for. You're going to have to do it yourself. And all of a sudden, it hit me. Pastor. And I thought, oh, no, 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 no. Then the next thing you know, Shelbyville, this thing that is going on here hadn't turned out as well as I thought it would when I moved away from here and it was struggling and they talked to the guy that was here. Oh, it's not going to work here, the Ichabod. And I said, well, can I come back and try it? I humbled myself. I'll go back to Shelbyville. See, Shelbyville was not Mecca. It wasn't. Only relationship I had to Shelbyville other than living here for those two and a half or three years was I drove through here on the way to college when I was in college. We just Highway 60. It went all the way to Moorhead. It took forever to get there, but it went through Shelbyville. And McLean store used to buy a sport coat and some pants to go to college with. That's Shelbyville. I didn't know anybody here. Didn't even really care about moving here. I was glad to get away from here. Now I'm coming back. And I thought, oh, man, but I surrendered. Something came undone. Okay, Lord, whatever you want. If you want me to go back there, I'll go, 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 go. And I came back. A bunch of people came. And then the next week, lesser bunch of people came. And the following week, a lesser bunch of people came. And it finally got down to where I was inspired to move back here. Really? What about my house? We're not going to give you a deed to this house, and you cannot sell this house. It's been all the money I've ever had on that house to build. I want to sell it so I can leave. I don't want anybody, just anybody to move back here you could sell it to. I just can't give you a deed on that property. I didn't have a deed on that property. I just trusted who I was with. So I went home, got the keys to the house on a little key ring. I took the keys over to his office, and I said, you can have it. I'll sign this. It's yours. I am out of here. Now, I fixed my attitude a little better later, but I'm out of here. I came to Shelbyville and started all over. And you know what? I didn't dread that because everything worked. Everything spiritually, this part, what I'm doing now worked. That made everything else in my life okay. Made me at peace. I had to pay rent. I hadn't paid rent in a long time. I had to pay rent and had to do this. Things changed. It started all over. Almost 30 years later, standing here now. And I can look back and I think that's marvelous how God has directed steps, arranged things, had people in my life to speak this word. Somebody said that word. It got this in the mail. Somebody called me and left this little note. This, that, thus, and so. And here I am. It's come to the place where you're at peace no matter what's going on. Praise God. Shelbyville is a place. I'm not looking for Mecca. I'm a sojourner and a pilgrim. I've realized I'm not a permanent resident of the United States because there's another place coming out of the sky, a new Jerusalem. That's where I belong. I'm happy to be here. I could be in a lot of places, but I'm happy to be here. I'm always glad to come back here no matter where I go, because this is where God has directed my steps to be. I know I belong here. I know this is where I want to be. I'm happy here. I'm at peace here. I have the best friends I've ever had in my whole life here. 
I've had more peace with God here than anywhere I've ever been. Now, if you had told me 30 years ago you're going to shove, I said, I bet I'm not. I'll bet you I'm not. And here I am. And once I got here and gave in to his will, everything happens because this is the way God can do it. This is the way God can do it. Now, would you turn to James chapter 1? You see the need that we all have. All of us need the Holy Spirit. I believe that God's way of directing steps clearly and making it known to us where he wants us to be, what he wants us to do, is done by his spirit, by the spirit of God. I don't want to get too narrow about this, but I do want to say this. Remember we said a couple of weeks ago that whatever is born of God will overcome the world? It will overcome. And if they don't overcome, then they weren't born of God. See how that sounds? We're so used to having that explained away. But it said, whatever is born of God will overcome the world. They will not be a victim of it. They will overcome the world because God birthed them with his spirit. Listen at this verse while you're looking for James chapter 1. Ezekiel 36 and verse 27 said, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Now concerning the direction of a man's steps, let me say this. When God puts his spirit in a man, God will cause that man to walk in his way. And that man will do what God wants, a woman. Let me say it again, just make it clear. Because a whole lot of people say, oh, I've got the Holy Spirit. Well, okay, fine. But here's what happens. When God puts his spirit in you, you will walk in his ways. When God puts his spirit in you, you will overcome the world. You won't make excuses. You won't draw back and give up and quit. You won't put things on the shelf and keep saying, I'm not ready for that. When God's spirit the spirit that hovered above the earth before it was created and then did everything that God said. The same spirit is in you right here in your life. And he's in there to make out of you something that was void and null and look. And he takes that and he makes something out of it that he inhabits and that is what he wants. He takes you and I as nothings and makes somethings out of us. And we don't turn back. And we don't give up and we don't quit and we don't throw it away. Anybody that wants to do that, God says, my soul has no pleasure in them. Remember that? My soul has no pleasure in them. So when he said, I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues, can he do that? Can God so direct your steps that you do exactly what he wants you to do and then delight in you for doing it. Isn't that what we all want? Isn't that in the bigger picture what the main thing that I want? 
I want to know that I am in the will of God and that God in me is directing my steps and I am walking a right way. I will be in heaven. I will be in Shelbyville. I will be in Guatemala or San Francisco, God forbid, or Mecca once it's been captured, wherever. It's just the fact that you are of God's choosing. He picked little Thomas here up when he was young and tender, spiritually ignorant, and plants him like a little shoot in his garden. And God begins to blow upon that little shoot and begins to call the rain and the sun to shine upon it. And it begins to grow and he begins to feed that little shoot. He begins to take his word and open your mouth, Thomas. Open it. Okay. And begins to feed him and he begins to grow. And then God does a work in his heart that says, man, that was good. And God says, you sing it all the time, taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm just giving you reality to it. Jeremiah said, thy words were found and I did eat them and thy words were unto me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart because you're beginning to relate to God in a way you've never related before. So he keeps feeding little Thomas and feeding little Thomas and Thomas becomes a big Thomas. He becomes a grown man. And now that his heart is directed towards the Lord, he begins to be able to hear the voice of God. And because he can hear it and sense it because he's learned to follow it, he now can be led in the direction that God wants him to go. And because his heart is God's, God causes him to walk in his statutes. And God is so good that in the end he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And the one he says that to says, Lord, I'm only here because you did it all. It is not within a man that walks to direct his steps. You have made my way for me. I humbly bow before you in Jesus' name. You have made it work. You found James. Thirdly, we must live acknowledging that good comes from God and not ourselves. God expects us to honor him and praise him, knowing that the good things that are going on in our life came from God, came from God, the good things. James chapter 1 and verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above. All other so-called gifts are not from above. But every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And then notice verse 18, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let me ask you something. Why does a man, if he's born again, truly born again, his nature's changed, he's a new person. If he really is changed, why did he get changed? It's the will of God. Isn't it? It's not because you did something, not because you have notoriety, not because you have a talent, not because you're pretty or ugly or big or small. Didn't the verse 18 say of his own will? Now you preachers in here, that's a good text. Of his own will, he begat us. He rebirthed us. He revived us. He did what needs to be done in order for us to know him. And he begat us with the word of his truth. 
That's what you're listening to. You determine if it is, but this is what we're here to listen to. This is what gives birth in our life to the next phase of your life or to what you need to be doing tomorrow or today. It's that voice you heard today, that sound you heard today, that verse you heard today, that's something that was said today that's going to enter into your life tomorrow and determine the course of your life. But the word of his truth, God speaks his word. His word settles in our heart. It becomes his way. And because he has our heart, we're willing to do it. And this is what James 1 is talking about. Remember Proverbs 3, 6, in all thy ways acknowledge him and what? He'll direct your steps. Well, if we only use that verse in a question, how can a man's steps be directed and ordered? In what way can a man's steps be directed? Proverbs 3, 6. In all thy ways, what? Acknowledge him. What does acknowledge mean? Reference him. Refer to him. The way I'm going is not my way, it's his way. The good that's coming in my life that pleases him, that he delights in, didn't come from within me, it came from him. He's the one who is showing me the way to go. I'm just willing to do it. And what I'm doing, he calls it good because it came from him. It's the good way of God in creatures that don't deserve it. And he takes people like us. And he does stuff like that. Well, as he said, we begin to acknowledge God. We begin to praise God. We come into this room and we begin to realize that God is all. He's all in all. He's everything. He is all that we need. He is everything that a man could ever want. And he's the only one who can cause us to come to a well-watered plain, the still waters, the green pastures. He's the only one who can lead us there. Everything else in this life is just a misfit, angry ball of tension. Fighting and fussing and suspicion and anger and just every. <laughs> but the Bible says when God is leading your life, it's besides still waters and green pastures. And he blesses you when you go out. And he blesses you when you come in. And everything you put your hand to prospers. So you don't have to covet what anybody has. You know that God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. We'll save that for next week. Point of it is, folks, is that we should acknowledge as Christians, we owe all the glory to Jesus. He should get all the honor and the praise for all of this, from any of us and all of us. If you're a preacher, if you ever become one, you will realize somewhere along the line that you are absolutely incapable of doing anything that is pleasing to him unless it is specifically something he directs you to do. Everything else is failure. If you don't want to work in your marriage on his terms, your marriage will never work. You just live in a house with two people, with kids that just like to get out of that house happens all the time because when God is absent, when people aren't yielded to God and he's not the one doing the work in there that needs to be done, it doesn't work. Remember what Paul wrote in Colossians 1, whatsoever you do in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks unto God and the Father by him. That's what we do. We acknowledge God. That's what our praise time is about. We don't do a very good job of it most of the time. But we get a chance to. 
And whether we do or not depends on us. Maybe it's our heart's just not in it. I don't want to talk about being born again or begatted. But there's something there that, that's never really registered with the church. You can't say you're born again and remain as you were and have the same. You don't have that no more. Everything begins to change. It all begins to change. You're walking in newness of life or you've never been changed. Amen? We must acknowledge God. Fourthly, God expects us to stay put and not give in to testings and trials and hardships. By stay put, I mean quit wavering, quit drawing back. You put your hands on the plow, leave them there till the field is finished. God is bigger than our trials and our tribulations and our problems and all the things that have come upon us. Listen to what the psalmist said back again in Psalms 44, verse 17. And this has come upon us, yet we have not forgotten thee, neither have we dealt falsely in thy covenant. Our heart is not turned back, neither have our steps declined from thy way. Don't quit. Acknowledge that God expects us to stay put. He expects us to esteem him bigger than our trials. Look at God as one who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all. To look at God who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape. And then praise the Lord for that. Psalm 44, verse 17 again. All this has come upon us, yet we have not forgotten thee. How many people do? How many have you known in your, maybe your family or your friends who because things didn't go well for them, they just gave up? They were never born again. All right, I said it. Verse 18, our heart is not turned back. Neither have our steps declined from thy way. And how easy it is for people in that situation to say that the way of God isn't fair. It's too hard, too harsh. The preacher's too harsh. It could have been. Or the way is too hard. That's not true. And how many times do we as Christians look at people, we're going through all this stuff and undergoing this change, and we look at the people in the world who wouldn't darken a church door if they had to, and we see how well they're doing, and we complain. They did it in Psalm 73. There's a lesson for you preachers in Psalm 73. Look over there. 73rd Psalm. What a wonderful place to go to learn to be grateful. God is good, verse 1, to those that have a clean heart. But as for me, uh-oh. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. You ever been there? Sure. Boy, it was close. I just about threw in the towel. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Well, let's go on. For I was envious. I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They just do so well. The people that never give, never sing, never worship, never do, they never do anything good. Everything they do is for their notoriety or for their own self-praise. They never do anything good. They're just stingy and tight. And look how well they're doing. They got all the money. They got all the control. Well, 
This is what he said, verse 5. They're not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covered them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. I can't get that picture. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than their heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression, and they speak loftily. They have set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. And he was envious. How many times do we envy people on the television or the movies because they got money or some famous athlete because they make $70 million over the next five years? No athlete on this planet is worth that much. Zero, none of them. But we look at people like that that seem to be doing so well, that have fun, they got a smile on their face, got three new cars, two chickens in two pots. And they going through life really, hey, they're going through life good and they drive by our little dinky looking church building and saw the sometimes the bland life that they say we live and you know, y'all are no fun, you can't do nothing, all of that. And the psalmist said, you know, I looked at those people and I thought, you know, this ain't right. This ain't fair. We're trying so hard to walk with God. And I know he speaks to us, but Lord, look at the ones that don't care. Look at the people out there who you don't delight in their way, but look how well they're doing. The book of Proverbs says, Lord, let not my heart envy sinners. Let not my heart envy sinners. For surely there is an end of thine expectation, and they shall be cut off. Verse 13, verily I have cleansed my heart in vain. All this deeper life requirements, Sermon on the Mount, point one, two, three, four, and five, kill me. Surely I've cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long I have been plagued and chastised and chastened every morning. Oh, this Christian life. If I say I shall speak thus, behold, I shall offend against the generation of my children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. You know, we're restricting ourselves. We don't watch that. We don't go there and do that. And, and everybody else that does, they don't get sick. They don't have accidents. They got money. They invest money and make a million or two dollars. They don't do anything wrong. Everything they do seems to turn out well for them. And here we are struggling with this and struggling with that. And it, I don't know, Lord. I, and I'm chastised and chastened and I'm corrected all the time. And every time I go to church, that preacher harps on the same old thing. It just beats us to death. Now, do we need a revelation here of what's going on? Because that's what he got. And maybe the church, maybe folks like you in the church, because not many people in the church ever go through this. But for us, I see it. Verse 17, I see it. I see it. Verse 16 says, When I thought to know this, it was too painful of me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. God opened my eyes and showed me what's happening to people in this world who don't walk the way God wants them to walk. Church folks are not. Verse 18, surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou casteth them down into destruction. Wow. 
How are they brought into desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with tears? That's what happens to them. Verse 20, as a dream when one awakens, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Do you think anybody in the world, all of these sex-crazed people and themes and ideas and this whole lust-laden society that is, do you really think that's okay? Do you really think those people are doing well? Do you really think you'd like to join them and be one of them and put their poster on your wall or paint your face like Pink Floyd or whoever that is, one of those groups? You want to be like that? Oh, man, they got $10 million for one. You really think that's good money? You really think any of that blessed the Lord and helped the cause of God anyway on this earth? These people living for themselves and God will one day have them all in desolation. And when their little dream is burst, all they will know is terror because they have no way to deal with it. They can't turn to God. They've cursed God. They've already spouted their mouth against God. They're following people who are anti-God. The whole world system is anti-Christ and they've thrown in with that thing and God has given these people up to these vile passions and in the end, there you are with peace and joy and hope and there's those people with nothing but death and hell in front of them. The psalmist said, now I see what you're doing, Lord. Let me finish this verse 21 through 28. Thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reign. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides thee, Lord. My flesh and my heart faileth. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to go to church, to go through all the difficulties and the adjustments and the work of the Holy Spirit. Things that make me draw near to God, I've added that. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. What a graphic illustration between saints and ain'ts. Folks, all that glows out there and all the shiny new stuff and the cool stuff of the people that are embarrassed and shamed or disregard God, they're all doomed. They're all doomed. And the only people that are going to make it are God's people. Because whatever he gives birth to he said, I engrave you on the palm of my hand. And I could never forget you any more than a mother could forget her nursing child. I could never forget you. And no man shall pluck you where? Now I'm going to do a work in you that when I'm through with you Christians, I'm going to squeeze all the world out of you. I'm going to wrestle with you and I'm going to deal with you. I'm going to chastise you and you're going to, oh, yeah. But when I get done with you, 
what's left I'm going to make out of it like the potter does with a piece of clay. It's something special. I'm going to make something out of you that the world will then see. These are the people of God. Because the last thing God expects us to do, fifthly, he expects us and requires faith from us. He expects and requires faith from you. Trust him. One day at a time. Just take him at his word. If he said he will, he will. Do that. You can't do more. You cannot do more than take God at his word. There's no substitute for it. You can't do something else that works as good. There's nothing more important to God. Nothing than for the illumination or the revelation of his word to your heart to become your way in life. That's what faith is. You don't know that taking God's word for healing is going to make your body well. You don't know that. You have to believe that. You have to believe that. You have to count on God to do that. Because, again, believing the word doesn't make it true. It's true whether you believe it or not. Believing it puts you in agreement with it. It's the work, it's the deep work that so very few really do. Very few really do have this, where you're willing to take God's word for your way and live like it's true. And once that gets settled in your heart, like I said, he's already in all your tomorrows. Not afraid of tomorrow, not afraid of terrorists, not afraid of bombs and death and cancer and disease and flu. Because he's in charge. He said, no evil shall befall you. No plague. Come now your dwelling. None of the diseases that were on the Egyptians shall come upon you, for I am the Lord for you. I'm the Lord that heals you. I'm your doctor. I'm your doctor, I'm your surgeon, I'm your dentist, I'm everything. Nothing is too difficult for God. Just live like what I said is true. Act like it's true, walk that way. And he'll direct your steps. Amen. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we give you thanks this morning because we know that you're in charge And we choose to believe that you're leading us and guiding us and directing our steps so that in this life we will be where you want us doing what you've called us to do. And I pray, Lord, for every sincere soul in this room or who hears this message or who's watching it. If they have not had a specific word from the Lord, that they'll do what they think is right and then trust you to direct their steps. For I have seen you do that in my life, and I know you do. But my life is not a standard for these people. It's just a testimony that I have. And I ask you to deal with each one of these here this morning, everybody, so that all of us live their life with you and have their testimony that they can share with others about how you brought them to the place they are, how you led them, and how you proved that you led them, how you've quickened us and revived us. Oh, God, these things I'm asking you to do this morning are so easy for you to do. They're so simple. You're God. We're not nearly as complicated as we think we are. For you're the great solver of man's problems. Teach us this morning not only to seek you, but to cast all of our care over on you.
and to live one day at a time. Father, there are people that I'm speaking to here who need to hear this. And I pray that you would gently put that into their heart and let it be a living voice. And when it's over, may we all hear you say individually to each of us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. For we ask you to do all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Would you stand to your feet? Oh, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will pray. I will hold thee with the right hand of my righteous name. Oh, fear thou not, for I am Fear thou not. 